Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all, you're all doing great. I'm just on a few hours of sleep. Went to Germany last night, yesterday, to watch our boys play uh, Wiesbaden in football. And any parents here whose kids are playing? I know there's a few of you here. Yeah, they did okay. They did great. But we just ran out of gas at the end. So um, today we're in part two of Daniel chapter two. And today it's going to be more of a teaching than a preaching. Well, what's the difference between a teaching and a preaching? About 10 minutes, really, and a lot, a lot more slides. And then I have to give you a quiz at the end, and you're graded. Besides that, it's about the same. Um, how, many of you, um, how many of you have ever had a dream that you were flying? Anybody here ever have a dream that you were flying? I remember one time I had a dream I was flying, and I was going so fast and high and low, and when I woke up, I was like, no, you know, I wanted to keep dreaming that, because it was... You know, some of you may have maybe the kind where you have a dream and, and then you want to go back to sleep and finish it. Well, you can't, you can't direct your own dreams like that, right? I mean, any of you have a deja vu or a dream? Connie felt like we'd been here, you dreamt something, and it, it was like, maybe you dreamt this, a deja vu. Any of you have something like that? No. Um, next slide. President Lincoln, one time, uh, had recurring dreams that were disturbing, recurring dreams. And he shared it next slide with his bodyguard uh, and a friend, Ward Hill Lehman, who he made U.S. Marshal of Washington, D.C. And he shared very clearly a dream. And I'm going to read it in his words. President Ward Hill Lehman wrote it down. And Lincoln said, About ten days ago, the president recalled, I retired very late. I soon began to dream. There seemed to be a death-like stillness about me. Then I heard subdued sobs as if a number of people were weeping. I thought I left my bed and wandered downstairs. There the silence was broken by pitiful sobbing, but the mourners were invisible. I went from room to room. No living person was in sight, but the same mournful sound of distress met me as I passed along. I was puzzled and alarmed. I kept on until I arrived in the East Room, and there I met a sickening surprise. Before me was a platform for a coffin of someone of state. Around it were soldiers acting as guards. And there was a throng of people gazing mournfully upon the corpse whose face was covered. Who is dead in the White House, I demanded of one of the soldiers. The president was his answer. He was killed by an assassin. Less than two weeks later, on April 14, 1865, a much-loved president, Lincoln, went to Ford's Theater and was assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. And his body was taken to lie in state in the East Room as he dreamt. And some people said, well, that's just... Strange coincidence. He kept having these recurring dreams, and he told others. He shared this not only with Ward Hillane, but with Mary, his wife. In fact, even his day bodyguard, somebody else, was, was taken back the day that he left for Ford Theater. He always said, good night, good night, when he left. But on his last day, he said goodbye. And he was kind of taken aback, because President Lincoln, just something didn't seem right. Uncanny, strange, ironic. Some dreams come true, whether this was a prophetic dream of sorts, we don't know. But in Daniel chapter 2, God does give a dream that points towards the future. And it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult passage of Scripture. In fact, uh, last week, I remember uh, Chaplain Wright was preaching on Daniel 2. I said, oh, I love this chapter. I've, I've done Bible studies on this for uh, you know, years. One of my favorite prophecies in all of Scripture and, I, and then it was part one of part two, and I said, oh, it was a great message last week, Chaplain Wright. So then I caught Chaplain Wright on Monday, and I said, um, do you have chapter, chapter two down? Because 
he had me down on the preaching schedule in a couple weeks. Um, Daniel the Lion's Den, which I love that. That's like, yeah, I'll take that one. Uh, but Daniel chapter 2, it's a lot of homework, and we've been swamping you with work. So thank you for, um, for, for trading, and I owe you lunch. But we're going to get into chapter 2 of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, open to chapter 2. Next slide. Um, but before we get into that, I want to just remind you of a couple passages that it does. The Bible does mention that God can predict the future, right? God, God our, our future is not, is, is, you know, God is not blind to our future. And sometimes you and I, we worry about tomorrow. We do. I, I've had those days where I just wrestle with God about tomorrow and things around the corner. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 46, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Next slide. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. And elsewhere in Isaiah, in chapter 48, verse 5, it says, I told you these things long ago before they happened. I announced them to you. See, our future is not uncertain to God. And so I have to remember that. I hope this is encouraging to you because today there's going to be some, we're going to go through some history and we're going to take a look at the Daniel's, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. We're going to look at that. But the big question we're going to end up with is what difference does it make for me and my future and our future as Christians and as, as as a nation? What difference does it make? So please join me as I pray and then we're going to get into this dream, this amazing dream of Daniel chapter two. God above, thank you. Thank you for your word which is insightful, and it's there to encourage us, to correct us, to train us, to inspire us. Thank you, God, that you declare things from the future and that you are already at the end. You know how it works out. So in our uncertainty, in our instability, in our fear, God, may your Holy Spirit remind us that we have nothing to fear holding on to your hand, for you have a certain future, and it ends well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to quickly recap, before we look at the scripture passage today, next slide. Uh, chapter, uh, Chaplain Wright mentioned last week about King Nebuchadnezzar from what nation? Okay, some of you are still, yeah, okay, Babylon, right? So Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a dream, and he woke up very unsettled. He couldn't remember the dream or the interpretation. So he calls all of his wise men and magicians and astrologers, and he says, basically, tell me the dream, tell me the dream, and, uh, and the interpretation, they said, King, just you tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he's like, no, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation, which none of them could do. So King Nebuchadnezzar gets Arioch, the commander of the guard, and says, I want you to go out and kill all the wise men. Kill them all. Um, so we'll stay on this slide for a second. And then they went to hunt Daniel and his friends. And Daniel, you know, these Hebrew slaves, when Babylon took over Israel, written about in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Babylon took the Israelites and the Jewish people in captivity. And Daniel pleads with the king, give me some time, because there is a God who reveals the future. And, and so Daniel did what we need to do when we are uncertain and unsteady. Next slide. What did Daniel do? He went and he prayed. He went and he prayed and he said, God, I'm at the end. he'll be dead tomorrow if he doesn't come forth and give the king his interpretation. Are you uncertain about your military career? Are you uncertain about your health? Are you uncertain about your kids? I'm a parent of three kids, right? How many, you, some of us, we pray for our kids all the time, right? There's some uncertainty at times. We can trust our issues and our needs and the future concerns that we have. We can trust them to God, just as Daniel did. And Daniel prayed to God, and God came through 
and gave Daniel just what he needed. So God came through and gave Daniel not only the interpretation, but he told him what the dream was. And we're going to take a look at this here. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing interpretation. But before we do that, here's another just like geography quiz. Babylon. Where in today's geography was ancient Babylonia and Babylon? Some of you have been there. Iraq. Next slide. Yes, Iraq. Babylon. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> On cue, yeah, thank you. Uh, Babylon, the city, is located about 50 miles south of Baghdad. And many of us have been there, although kind of, you know, under different circumstances. Babylon was a beautiful area. And that region, King Nebuchadnezzar ruled that region as well as Syria. That's in the news lately. Iraq and Syria. ISIS, ISIL. Nebuchadnezzar ruled Assyria, conquered the Assyrians, was fighting the Egyptians. Had an alliance with the Persians later the Medes and Persians for a season, which is Iran. What, what part of the world is making the news constantly? Iran, Iraq, Syria. I'm not making that point to say that that's part of this prophecy. It's just ironic that in this region, uh, the ISIS of that day, the, the dominant leader that was conquering everyone was Nebuchadnezzar. He was the ruler of that area. Strong, strong leader, strong ruler. So let's pick up the verses in, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 26. And then we'll be reading some of the verses on the, on the slide. I'm going to read verse 26. The king asked Daniel, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And then Daniel said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. We can't do it. Next slide. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen when. When does it say? What other versions does yours say out there? Some versions say in the last days. Some say in times to come, the latter days, right? So this is something that God gave Daniel, that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar, that's going to point forward for quite some time. So next slide. And then he goes on, verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Keep going on. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. Next slide. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Remember this, it's on the quiz. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them to pieces. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them could be found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was a dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Was Daniel right? Daniel was right. Daniel not only gave the dream, but the interpretation of it. I have a friend who made this little thing years ago. The king probably listened and said, Daniel, you're exactly right. There was a head of gold. What does that mean? And a, a chest of silver and thighs of brass or bronze. Some, most versions say bronze. Legs of iron followed by feet with, with clay mixed with iron. And then the strangest thing, a stone, a rock, like an asteroid came from the heavens and destroyed the image and then it took over like a mountain, took over the whole earth. Daniel was correct. And if Daniel wanted to be promoted and made, made vice regent of Babylon, he probably could have just, 
you know, just kind of left it there and didn't go into much of the interpretation because the interpretation is not all going to be favorable. But he starts with some good news. Let's go on the very next verse, verse 37 in Daniel chapter 2. Follow along. I put the words on the screen. You, O king, are the king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hands and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. King Nebuchadnezzar must have smiled and said, that's right, I am the most valuable, priceless metal in this dream. And you think about this, for we go down to the, if any of you been down to the British Museum, just a couple hours south, there are, there are plenty of archaeological finds that validate Nebuchadnezzar. I remember in seminary, um, you know, in archaeology class, and so the first time I went, to, um, I went to the British Museum, one of the first things I wanted to look for was Nebuchadnezzar's scroll, which we have archaeological evidence of. There are clay tablets that mention Nebuchadnezzar. There are Babylonian chronicles that mention Nebuchadnezzar. There's a lot of archaeological evidence that talks about this king, and Neb- Babylon at the time of Daniel was powerful. Uh, one writer writes about it being f- uh, Babylon, the city proper, 14 miles square. The walls, 85 to 90 feet thick. H- over 100 towers, watchtowers. Not just the wall in the outer city. It's over 60 miles um, wide, um, proper, the city proper, but 14 miles square miles. The main, and then two walls, outer wall and inner wall. The Euphrates River, next slide, ran through the center of it and gave it a 20-year supply of food. And any of you know about the ancient wonders of the ancient world? Next slide. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Have you ever heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? We don't have evidence of this, but it's written about by several ancient writers. They said that there were terraces, terraces with trees and foliage and plants. It's one of the most beautiful sites in the region. So there's a lot of luxury, a lot of wealth, and a lot of power when Nebuchadnezzar ruled. And Nebuchadnezzar probably thought his kingdom would last forever. Next slide. In fact, there's a prayer to the, to the god Marduk where Nebuchadnezzar said, O Babylon, the delight of mine eyes and which I have glorified, may it last forever. He thought he was invincible. Pride comes before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. And in the weeks to come, Chaplain Wright and Chaplain Porter will discuss what happens to King Babylon. What happens? He doesn't rule forever, and Babylon doesn't last forever. In fact, Daniel looked at the king straight in the eye and said, next slide, he said, after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. That must have been hard for the king to take. What do you mean another king? Another kingdom inferior is going to, is, is, is going to rise on, over us? It's going to destroy? I, I don't get it. Daniel, what are you talking about? And Daniel describes what took place Years later, a great-grandson named Belshazzar, which I won't go into this because it's written about in Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar was parting with over a thousand noblemen. He thought the city was secure. Next slide. 539 B.C., historians record the Medes and the Persians. They had engineers divert the river. Next slide. They had the engineers divert the Euphrates River. And, they, and, and Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar was dead at this time, but... Um, Belshazzar at the time thought the city was secure. They went in under the city. They found some gates that were unlocked. Next slide. And they destroyed Babylon in a single night. They flooded into the city. Next slide. Babylon fell immediately. 
Pride comes before a fall, and it fell hard for Babylon. The Medes and the Persians, you can Google this just for your own fun and your own kicks, just to look at, that's modern-day Iran. The Medes were northern Iran, the Persians, but they, they were an alliance. They went and they dominated. Uh, they, they took over Babylon, and they ruled for over two centuries. Babylon didn't rule as long as the Medes and Persians. They were strong. They were, might, they were inferior, though. They were never as glorious, just like Daniel describes but they, they were dominant for over two centuries, the Medes and the Persians. So how long would they rule? Would they rule forever? No, of course not. Bible and secular history describe them rising on the ruins of Babylon, but they didn't rule forever. But what's interesting, after the Persians, 331 B.C., swift kingdom came in, very swift. And one writer described them as, the, you know, the bronze thighs, as having bronze shields and bronze helmets and bronze equipment. Next slide. Bible says next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the what? The whole earth? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't talk about Canada or Mongolia, but this was the region. This is the Holy Land area. The kingdoms we're talking about is the Holy Land. God has always had an interest in Israel, in this region, the Holy Land. And so these were the nations that ruled over that region. So the, the known earth at that time, and what we do know from history in the fourth century, there was a young ruler, his father was a Macedonian, and he was killed, and he became king when he was 20 years old. He's accomplished more before he was 25 than most people ever accomplished. Uh, they said that he, he, he ruled the entire world at the time by the age he was 25 years old. And who was that? Alexander the Great. His tutor was Aristotle who taught him Greek history, Greek art, Greek culture, and he spread it rapidly, and he was dominant. And he probably could have extended even more over that known region and that known world, but he died of a fever 33 years old. Right? Remember that from history? Okay, so that's going to be quiz question number seven. So uh, that, this, was the, this was the thighs of brass. And one of the Greek writers in the second century just a couple hundred years after he died, said, I am persuaded that there was no nation, city, nor people where his name did not reach. There seems to me to have been some divine hand presiding over both his birth and his actions. Next, I don't know, but Alexander the Great, I mean, if you studied Alexander the Great, he was swift, it was a swift life, it was a short life, and then his kingdom was divided among his four generals. And so far, Daniel's prophecy is sure. Daniel's prophecy is solid, and it's sound. But when you divide a kingdom, you can become weaker. And what, from your recollection of history, what happened then, after Greece became divided? There was another nation that rose up, and like the iron legs of Daniel's dream, we'll go on to the next slide, and the fourth kingdom, listen how he just doesn't describe the legs of iron. Listen to how he describes how this kingdom will rule. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break into pieces and crush all others. That, my friends, and we've studied this in the military, Roman history. I remember years ago, I've um, studied Roman military, Roman history, and some of you have to have a Roman's helmet in my office. It's just kind of, you know, that's kind of the you know, the, the forefathers of the organized military, um, some of the, you know, some of the tactics that we look at today. This was the culture, this was the, this was the ruling power when Jesus was born, when the disciples lived, when the Bible was written. 
Now, the Greek culture was still very influential. Greek art, our New Testament, written largely in, in Greek. It's written in Greek. So they still had the influence, but the Romans, dom- they, were, they crushed all their nations. Next slide. This was, the, whole, the Holy Land was under the iron rule of Rome. And so that's where some people got tripped up because they thought the Messiah would come and, and not just simply die for our sins, but would overtake and overcome the secular kingdom. And so they were looking for an earthly king, not a spiritual king, to save us from our sins. They wanted one that would free us from the Roman rule and the Roman yoke. Daniel prophesied this would happen hundreds of years before it did. And their expansion was wide. You've traveled throughout Europe, many of you, while you've been assigned here, right? And you've seen remnants of Rome, correct? Uh, several years ago, Krista and I and our kids, we were stationed in Spain, hardship tour to Marone, Spain. And so we, just outside Sevilla, some old Roman remnants, um, Roman baths, Roman artwork, a large Colosseum, still uh, pieces of it intact. It was where Trajan, who also became a Roman emperor, was, was born. So, and that's in southern Spain, in Andalusia. There was Roman influence throughout this whole region. So what happens next, Daniel? What's the next kingdom that will come and overtake Rome? So next slide, we have Babylon, the head of gold. We have the Medes and the Persians, arms like the Medes and Persians, like two arms, chest of silver, and then bronze thighs, and then legs of iron. And so you'd think that there'd be another kingdom, right, that would overtake Rome, and it would be aluminum, tin, paper, cotton. But it doesn't. Rome does not fall, as we know, to another single nation. Rome collapsed from its own moral failing. And it was so widespread that it got picked apart. It got picked apart from different nations. Next slide. We know this from history. The Alamanni settled in the areas of Germany. The Burgundians came from the north and settled in Switzerland. The Franks settled in France. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be with it, just as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong, partly fragile. And so we know from history that Rome got plundered here and there. Its territory was divided. Anglo-Saxons in England, the Lombards in Italy, the Visigoths in Spain. And there are three tribes that actually were uprooted, but that's for Daniel chapter 7. I'll leave that alone for now. So Daniel's prophecy is right on. And this is, again, the Holy Land. This isn't, Daniel's not concerned with, again, Canada or Australia, but this is the Holy Land. This is that known part of the world, uh, the, the land where Jesus was born and where he died. As we look today, as we look today, next slide, at Europe, as we look at this region, it's kind of divided. After the football game, went down to a little restaurant in Wiesbaden, and I struggled with, I struggled with German, Dunkeshe, and, you know, and all that, and they... Our waitress struggled, could not speak a lick of English. And I thought, well, there's, there's an army base right up here. So I'm just saying we have different cultures. We have different languages. We have unique things that are, that are, that are beautiful. But it's been divided. And, and they have had partly strong nations and partly weak nations. Isn't that true? Throughout this whole region. But notice what else is interesting. Next slide. Go on the next one. This was fascinating, too, because Daniel puts this in, in the dream, and in the interpretation, verse 43. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Next slide. 
Have you traveled around? Have you noticed how, even in history, how they tried to form alliances and treaties by mixing the seed of man? What does that mean? What does that mean? They've tried to make alliances by having daughters marry and create alliances, right? You've heard the King Henry VIII, he had six wives, three of them lived and three of them died, right? Well, he married mostly British-born. One was from Wales, um, I think Anne of Cleves, well, she's born in Germany, but that wasn't the alliance. But King Henry VIII, he wanted to rule France. That was a goal of his. He wanted to rule France. He couldn't do it, except he had a daughter, Mary Louis XII. And they had an alliance for six years. So, you know, if you look at the family tree of some of these nations, one writer said the wars in this region were like family feuds because they all had the same blood stock when you go back far enough. The family tree is really a bamboo shoot when you go back far enough. So they've tried to intermingle, and uh, the Bible says they wouldn't. They would not cling to one another, just as Daniel mentioned. That was God's interpretation. They tried to form these. They couldn't. They couldn't. Next slide. And then you look throughout even our recent history, which I'm not sure Daniel's specifically talking about it, but think of all these other ones, Charlemagne, Louis XIV, Charles VI, Kaiser Wilhelm, Napoleon, Hitler, all believed they could dominate that region or even the world. Napoleon, next slide, came the closest. His armies were strong and ferocious. This is what he said. Napoleon said, first Russia, then the British, then the entire world. Did you know he said that? He said that. That was his goal. He wanted to be ruler of the world. But then when he was marching his army against Russia, a little snowflake fell, and then another snowflake fell, and then another snowflake, and pretty soon so much little snowflakes (laughs) gathered together and drove him and his army out, and he said, God Almighty is too much for me. Well, yes, the Bible predicts. You're not going to be, there's not going to be another one world kingdom. There won't be. The Bible does not allow it. It doesn't. Have you ever wondered about that? There will not be another one world kingdom like you had in that region. It won't happen. It won't happen. Well, here's the other one. Next slide. Hitler. Hitler wanted to rule that region as well. Listen to this quote, 1941, March. He boldly declared... See, my people, we do not need anything from God. We do not ask anything from him except that he may leave us alone. We want to fight our war with our own guns, without God. We want to gain our victory without the help of God. And as you look at history and you look at Daniel's prophecy up to the latter days, no one knows when Jesus will come. We don't know. So no one knows the day or the hour. If anybody does... Forget it. Matthew tells us only God the Father knows, so stop speculating. But he does give prophecy about things that go into the latter days. And the dream's not done yet. We'll get to that in just a second. But even even as recently, Hitler was was close to ruling that. The British, British where we live, they had their backs against the wall. You remember the Dunkirk evacuation from what you've read? Remember that? We um, We had a period where the Allies were trapped. They were trapped. You had the the, the Belgians and the French and the British. And Hitler, his military had every advantage. His generals studied weather patterns. They were on the attack. And then a fog rolls in. And what does Winston Churchill do? He gives an emergency broadcast. He says, everybody, please go evacuate our our allies. Powerboats, 20-footers, 30-footers, anything that could float across the English Channel. 800 boats 
of different sizes, different shapes, rescue over 300,000 uh, allies. That's, again, that's, you can read that in history, and there's different historical accounts of what took place there. And then, of course, we regrouped, the Allies regrouped, and went back and, and defeated Hitler and, and his visions of an Aryan world. But he said, we don't need God. But the ancient prophecy said that the people would not be united. They would not be united. So we do all this history, and now we're coming to the end here. We're coming to the end of this prophecy. And the big application question that, as preachers in seminary, we always say, so what? So what's the big idea of this message? What does it mean for me today? Next slide. Then Daniel says, in the days of what? In the days of those kings. In the days of these kings. When these things are happening. When all these, in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. If you question where we are in God's time frame, next slide. If you question where we are in times, God's time frame, I don't know when the Lord is coming. I believe we're living on the edge, the toenails of time, the toenails of that image. We don't know when Christ is coming again. We don't. No one knows the day or the hour. But this is not the time, friends, for us to say, the Bible is written by a bunch of primitive people, just a bunch of myth. The Bible is reliable. And if you have Daniel 2 still open, look at what it says in verse, in verse 45. It says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. It's reliable. God's word is reliable. So what does it mean for us today? If I worry about my future, you worry. I know, Chaplain, we've had discussions in the office. Some, sometimes people believe that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse and then the whole world's going to be gone and everyone's... No, there's not going to be a zombie apocalypse. It won't happen. The next thing that comes that will establish the, the next... It's going to be Christ's return. Jesus promised he's going to return. Yes, there can be nuclear war. It can destroy cities. It can create havoc. Yes, there will be wars and rumors of war. Jesus predicted that. But there will not be another nation that will destroy all others and rule like we've seen in history because we are on the toenails of time and the prophecy says the very next thing that will happen is Christ's return. We don't know. The, the bigger question is not whether you understand it all. You can study this. This is a fun Bible study to do. But are you ready? That's the bigger question. Are you ready? Is your family ready? Are, are you concerned so much about the... If you have questions, I have questions. It's okay. Every one of us, we have questions. We wrestle with God. But are you ready? Are you ready when Christ returns? That's the bigger question. It's a bigger question. We're not in the head of gold. We're not living in the breast and the arms of silver. We're not living in the thighs of brass. We're not living in the legs of iron. We have some nations strong and some weak, just like the prophecy predicted. But the very next thing that happens is Christ's return. And that's clear from Scripture. It will happen. So don't be in fear about your future. Know that God who predicted these things hundreds of years, He knows what will take place. He knows your future. He knows your family. He cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about, he cares about the things that we care about. He knows our future. He, you read the end of the book and we win. Okay? He wins. 
During the Second World War, final story, and then we'll have prayer and communion together. During the Second World War, the bombs were dropping on London. And I read about a father and a seven-year-old daughter. They're the only ones that remain in their family. His two sons were killed in the bombings. His wife was killed in the bombings. And they were in a bomb shelter. And as they were there, the little girl was so frightened. And she said, Daddy, I'm afraid of the bombs. And her father said, Don't be afraid. Try to go to sleep. Daddy's here. She said, Daddy, I can't go to sleep until you hold my hands. And he reached over and he took her hand. And a bomb came down and shook the shelter and said, Daddy, I'm afraid I can't go to sleep. And he said, oh, honey, go to sleep. Go to sleep, honey. And his daughter said, Daddy, I can't go to sleep unless I know your face is turned toward me. That's what she said. And I think there are at times where we in our becoming postmodern world where everyone is throwing Christianity under the bus. and people, I mean, we, it's okay to ask. We wrestle, but we got to know that God's face is turned toward us. And it is. It is. You can hold on to the hand by faith and say, God, I'm concerned about the future. I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about what you have in this world. It seems unstable right now. It does. But God knows the future. His face is turned towards us. And one day, the Father will say, enough. And you'll hear the footprints across the sky, and Christ will return to those who are waiting for him. So my prayer is that we'll all be together in his kingdom. Are you ready? That's the next. Are you ready for his return? Are you ready? Let us have prayer and commit ourselves to that today. God above, I thank you for this wonderful prophecy. You set up kings, your word says, and you can take them down. You've existed from eternity, and yet you're interested in our lives in 2015. It's mind-boggling. God, I pray that you strengthen us and encourage us when we get discouraged about maybe things in our lives or in our nation. Help us to remember, O oh Jesus, that, that you will come as you promised. You're preparing a place for us in heaven that you will come to take us to be with you. I pray for each person here, Lord. I pray that we'll be together in your kingdom where there will be no more suffering and no more heartache or no more sin, no more cancer, no more wars. Until that day, may we be found faithful, following you, loving you, and loving others. And we pray these sayings. May your day come soon, and may we be prepared. In Jesus' name, amen.